Fuck that, Walter. I love you, but sooner or later you're gonna have to face the fact you're a goddamn moron. Okay, dude, no time to argue. Hey, man. The bridge. Hey, Walter. Hey, Walter. Hey. There goes the rain. heist movie. No, it's a stoner movie. In each episode, Brad and Adam discuss a single minute of The Big Lebowski. It allows life to exist in the bleak black emptiness of space. Providing insight. I don't know she said that. <laughs> Maybe Saint Sneaker comes and like puts little trinkets in the commentary. He's found himself in a world turned upside down. <laughs> flare, 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 flare. And conjecture. It looks like the pool is empty. They shot it all on a green screen. You can't do a pickup. And now, Gutterball. Regulators, mount up. I've been waiting to say that. That's my new one. I felt it more than, uh, you know, Wolverines. It's a Warren I, G. and I, Nate Dogg song. And they're Warren like... Warren G. and Nate Dogg. They're, they're uh, copping the um, Young Guns Emilio Estevez line. You know, where he's Billy the Kid. Regulators, mount up. So it's really Young Guns. It's really Young Guns, but I'm quoting it from Warren G. So from Warren G. You know that. You related to Kenny G? I don't know this Warren G. Come on, he's a. Uh, you know he's a he's doctor. The regulator. He's a Dr. Okay. Dre and Snoop. Uh, sidekick. Boy, I hope he's not listening. He'd be pissed. But that's what he is, basically. You know this. I'm playing it right now on Spotify. I wish I could like bumping into you somehow. I see him on the web now, but I, yeah, I'm not really the song, I'm not up with the stuff. Like he's he's like more kind of contemporary. Well, from like or is he 98 from when, or something. So he is, <laughs> is from like 98. Is that okay. contemporary? 50, that's that's 50. what I was getting at. Okay, no, it's like 98. Yeah, I don't know. It seems pretty contemporary to me. Like that that doesn't seem like too long ago actually. Like I feel pretty cool to know that. But meanwhile, that's half a lifetime ago. All right. He had the song Regulate. Yeah, Regulate. Which I feel like I know that song. You know this song. I feel like if I heard it, I would know it. So it's, it's coming into my mind a little bit. I'm Mount trying to up. listen to it on YouTube. No, you got to open up Spotify, man. Just But there's the an advertisement for The Great Gatsby. You don't, I, can't, I can't skip it. You don't do Spotify at all? I do Spotify, but I'm not going to open it in the middle of recording. I just did it. I didn't care. I listened to this song probably like 200 times in a row one time, because I was going to use it as the 
basis for a 54 hours movie one time. And we were going to be rolling around all gangster style, but the idea was too ambitious and I realized it would never happen. So I didn't do it. Which, um, which song? Regulate? Regulate. Yeah. Okay. It's going to be like a couple of female gangsters, like tearing shit up in the small town. Gotcha. Like that's never, I'm never going to pull that off. I I remember this now. Yeah. But I'm not going to be able to blow buildings up and, like, have cop cars flipping in the middle of the street, you know? That's not going to happen in two days. And without a lot of money. So I gave up on it. But I love the song. And it's sampled from something. I remember I was... Apparently this song is very big in the, uh, on the web today. Really? Because it is in the soundtrack for Grand Theft Auto V, which was just leaked today. Look at that. See? I'm plugged in, man. Yeah. I'm tapped into the... It's a good song for Grand Theft Auto. Universal consciousness. Oh, yeah, it's a perfect song for Grand Theft Auto. There's a scene where the car comes rolling up and they gotta, like, throw some lead at it. Song scene. So, but you hadn't ever really heard this? Like, you're vaguely aware of it, but not I really? mean, I think I was very aware of it at the time, but again, so this is 1994. Wow, I was way off. Regulate. And it is... It is? It is what it is. I don't know. <laughs> well, it what? just is. Don't you, you don't like I think this? It's, I think it's from, it's from some movie. Well, Young Guns, right? Am I embarrassing myself again? Young Guns Regulate. Yeah, there. Look, first thing. Young Guns Regulators YouTube. It's going to be a Steves there. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Yeah, it's exactly from Young Guns. I guess Warren G just really liked Young Guns. He's a big Steves fan. Right. I mean, who isn't? Charlie Sheen's half-brother. Dad's Marty. Come on. Yeah. Good stuff. Speaking of Marty, (laughs) did you watch any of Marty Scorsese's student films? So, The Big Shave? That's the only one I watched. I've seen that before. You've seen that? I've seen that before. In school. I'm pretty sure we watched that in some film class. Yeah. Huh. Was Dr. Chris Jordan involved in this class? I mean, I can't say for sure, but I'm pretty sure, yeah. Now, let's just say yes. I might change that to a definitive, yeah. Yes. Well, what other film class did we have together? Wasn't that the only one? No. I didn't say it was one we had together. Oh, well, you said we. I assumed you meant the royal we. The editorial we. Did I I say we? You said we? 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 It's definitely we in there. I just meant, I guess I just meant the universal we. Yeah. It was, we. The, it was the royal we, I guess, which didn't necessarily involve me. But you may have been there. I don't know. I don't know. I don't remember seeing that movie before. Uh, it's very much a student film. Yes. It gives me hope in some way, I guess. 
Like, oh. Your movies sucked at one time. Cool. My movies suck. Maybe someday they won't, you know? There's always hope. There's always hope. It's never too late. <laughs> it's never too late. It's too late for the cinematographer for Star Wars, though. What's his name? Gilbert Taylor? He died. Did, he died? He died. R.I.P. Yeah. He shot a lot of stuff, that guy. What else did he shoot? Um... I want to say he shot uh, Dr. Strangelove. Yeah, he shot Dr. Strangelove. A Hard Day's Night, for God's sakes. You know? He shot for Hitchcock, Roman Polanski. He started in 1929 as a camera assistant, working at Gainsborough Studios. The Roaring Twenties, Brad. He was working in the Roaring Twenties, and he just died. Yep. Yeah. My neighbor died. So, thinking about death a little more. Than I'm usual. sorry to hear that. Yeah. He went walking. Walk like five miles every day. So he went walking. It was really hot. Like that heat wave's probably close to 100. And he just fell over out in the park. So it's a bummer. That is a bummer. Total bummer. Well, that's neither here nor there, I suppose. Here's a breath of fresh air, though. I have no revisits. Do you have any revisits? I have none. At the risk of making this non-evergreen, like it's been so long since we recorded the last episode that I actually forgot everything that happened in the previous minute, so... I, think. I feel like it's a very good chance that I will be telling the exact same stories and things from previous episodes. <laughs> right, because who knows what we talked about the last time. Because it was like six months ago. It wasn't six months ago, but it feels like that long. It feels like a long time. We're coming up on our one-year anniversary of posting our first episode, you know that. Wow. Yeah. It was we like the cake. Yeah, we should have a little cake. We should have a little cake, shouldn't we? There's red lights, Brad, in the background in this minute still. Even though towards the end of the minute we're afforded like a full on wide shot of the whole environment there. And yet Walter's like rolling out of the car with his Uzi and there's like these big flashing red lights in the background. But these lights are they're not like the previous lights that were little circles. This is like bright, bright. like lights up. Yeah, like huge like Like these are somehow the the brake lights. That's what it's meant to be, brake lights flashing on and off, illuminating the entire background this is your contention yes well you know how sometimes a car but this car doesn't have that like the the brake light that's like in the rear 
Sure, I know the that. The rear, that, whatever that is, the rear windshield. The superfluous. Is that what you call it? Yeah, the superfluous third brake light. <laughs> yeah, it's like Scaramanga from the Man with a Golden Gun. Superfluous third nipple, but this is a superfluous third brake light. I know you've never seen a James Bond movie. Whatever, we'll move on. So that's supposed to be brake lights. Now it's like thirty-six ten. They're just crossing the bridge. We cut back to the inside view of the car, shooting through the windshield, looking at Walter and the dude here, and in the background, back of the car, there's these bright red lights going off. And that's brake lights, you're saying. That's the motivation for it, at least. That's what I'm saying. I would... Uh, that's what, uh, as a casual observer, that's just what I think. That's what I would think watching this scene. I agree with you, but looking at it, it, it bears no resemblance mm -hmm. to reality. Well, film doesn't have to bear resemblance to reality. I know, we go just... over this and over this, but I'm trying to understand how you make that choice. Like, let's do a thing that doesn't resemble reality whatsoever, but that's going to work. What, what makes them, what allows them to know that that's going to work? Experience? Like they did it once and it, they got away with it, so they do it again? Maybe it's what everyone does. It's just like, but wait, you know. I've never <clears throat> learned that, you know, like. Well, there's someone whose job it is to, like, light that car. Yeah, the DP. And they maybe are the, the, the uh, or maybe there's even, like, a special, like, you know, crew that deals in this, like, car set that they have or something. Well, nighttime car set. Right, nighttime car set. Hmm. Like, they've done the nighttime car... Because that's probably on a sound stage, you know. Yeah, they yeah, and they've done this for countless movies, and they've they've like just the learned DP. this is what works. So Joel and Ethan are like, "All right, they're just driving down a road in the middle of nowhere." Walter's getting ready to like jump out of the side of the car. All right, we got it. Yeah, we know what you want. And then they yeah, just do I it because they've I been doing there's... it since like the fifties. Yeah, I think there's something to that. Hmm. Or it might even like go down some chain of command, where it's like you know, um, which which Cohen is the director? I hate that I have to even say that. They're both. Sometimes that was always just a a thing, a ridiculous they thing. They finally just yeah. Then they started was, alternating, but Joel was always traditionally the director, but they both okay. just directed the same right. time. So, so 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 Joel or the Coens talk to the DP even maybe then the DP. Talks to like whoever is in charge of the lighting, and they talk to the like the key grip, the the main, you know, the dudes that that they've, you know, like we're shooting a car night scene. We need to bring in the car night lighting expert to work with us in this scene. This guy did all the night car stuff in Taxi Driver. He's awesome. Let's bring him in. Exactly, like that's this person's specialty. Because I feel like Taxi Driver had a lot of that, like, De Niro rolling around with, like, just blurry, like, light nonsense going on in the background. 
Oh yeah, definitely. I would like to go back to that actually. Yeah, I know. Take that in a little more. Me too. Been a while. Because in my mind, see, here's the thing. If I look back to it, in my mind, it's like that wasn't that was like real. Right. You're... Like the image I conjured up in my mind when I was like completely real. Like they just actually somehow magically shot him driving down New York. Right. Which you know, I'm sure they did for some shots, but. I can picture some scenes, even though it's been a while, I can picture some scenes where it's very similar to this, where he's sort of driving around in like that dreamlike state where he's tr starting to like fantasize about all of his, whatever, his crusades that he's thinking about. I remember it being very like stylized back there with just like lights blooming up and then receding, but very blurry, like no definition. But I may be creating that. It could just be an impression. It's hard to know. We'll have to that another homework assignment. We'll have to go visit that. I think revisit Taxi Driver. Written by uh, our friend. What's his nuts? The Canyons. What's his name? I already forgot it. Brett Easton Ellis. I don't think that's who wrote Taxi. No, Driver. that's the. Producer. It's Paul Paul Schrader. Oh, he was like the screenwriter. Yeah. Right. No, he's he's the director. Sorry. Brett Easton he's the director Ellis. of the Canyons. Yes. Brett Easton and, but Ellis he is, is the, the screenwriter writer. for Taxi, Taxi Driver. Driver. Gotcha. Raging Yeah, Bull. Brett Easton Ellis is the novelist who right. wrote for the screen. He wrote The Canyons. That's right. I have not seen yet the canyons. Yo, I do want to see you it. You said you were going to watch that. Yeah, but you know, I and the truth is, I didn't watch anything. Nothing. Did you watch this minute at all before starting this podcast? I watched that, but only twice. <laughs> okay. I don't think I've watched any other anything any film. Well, then I guess. Really? Seriously? I've, I mean, I don't know. I can't say for sure. I'm trying to remember. I, I know that I've watched... Um, I've watched tons of crap. I definitely watched... I watched, like, some episodes of Arrested Development Season 4. Ooh. I haven't but I haven't that. watched any films. Well, if you've only watched this twice, I guarantee you that you did not notice at 36.12, 36.13... This is kind of crazy, and I can't, I can't really say why this happens, but, so this is right when the dude and Walter, they're on the bridge, which we need to go back to uh, fake boards on the bridge, but we'll, we'll circle back to that. This is when they're getting to the end of the bridge, Walter throws the briefcase up out of the side of the window, it comes spiraling up towards the camera and falls down but you mm -hmm. can see underneath the bridge at this shot and it's right when it right before it turns to 3613 underneath the bridge is lit pretty intensely yes. yes what's weird is the light they're using to light that moves it's like somebody's holding a light and they point it down towards the ground and then point it up towards the top of the bridge i i don't know i don't see that 
I've watched it look, several times now. You Okay, here's the thing. Don't look at what's happening on the screen. All right, I just finally saw it. Train like, your eyes on the so... bottom right corner of yeah, yeah, the screen yeah. and don't look at anything else. Just wait for yeah, it yeah. to appear and you see the shadows move and the light moves. Yep. I assume that they were trying to motivate like the car moving past with its headlights similar to like oh the brake lights are just illuminating crazily the entire background like this is supposed to be like the car driving by but that no. that's so strange like why would that light be moving was somebody not ready for the take i mean the car had to drive down the bridge well we'll get to that but what is that? Yeah, I don't know the answer to that, except I really don't think it's supposed to be somehow lights from the car. It just makes no sense. It doesn't make any sense. How could sense. the lights from the car illuminate underneath the bridge? Now, Well, why would the brake lights be illuminating the entire background sure, geography, you know? Yeah, well, <laughs> I don't really know the answer. I do think it might just be a mistake. I think it's a mistake. But here, here's another wrinkle to this. But, well, okay, you go with your wrinkle, then I'll go with mine. Well, don't forget it. I want to I wanna hear what you have to say, but I'm going to go first. So, I've actually read some of the Big Lebowski textbook. Yes. Written by, um, I guess it's Ethan's wife, Patricia Cook? I don't remember her name. Anyway, this scene. So they're meticulous planners, the Cohen brothers. They storyboard everything. Uh, there's some incredible, like, napkin sketches in that book of uh, especially the Jesus scene that they kind of sketched out. And it's like, oh my goodness, that's so perfect. And they, they think about every eventuality and they plan for every contingency. It's all thought out beforehand. It's like, they're meticulous about it. However meticulous they were, they got to this scene where they're driving over this bridge and Walter has to chuck the bag out of the driver's side window and it's supposed to go way up in the air and then fall down before he rolls out. They got to this scene, and the stunt guy is driving the car, and he's got the bag, and he puts his hand out the driver's side window, driving over the bridge, which they had to put fake boards on, because this bridge didn't have boards. They put all these boards on. So that's another thing. He goes to throw the bag up in the air, you know, 20, 25 feet up in the air to make an awesome shot as hard as he can, it goes like 12 inches up and just falls to the ground. And they're like, well, this isn't going to work. And he's come flying up towards the camera, because, you know, we're looking down on the bridge as the car drives by. The bag is supposed to come right up towards the camera and then drop back down. It's like, alright, let me try again. Maybe get your arm farther out. We'll go slower. Does it as hard as he can. It's like one foot, two, two feet maybe in the air. It basically just falls to the ground. And this is like a, like a stunt guy. Like, he's strong. He's a big dude, muscular dude. 
production shuts down. They just come to a standstill. Like, they need the shot. It hits the uh, CCR crescendo perfectly with that harmonica coming in. And the bag's supposed to come flying up towards the camera. You know, this is a big moment. Can't happen. They don't, they're, they're trying to think of a way to, like, put it on a wire and pull it up towards the camera. Like, the whole thing is shut down. And Joel and Ethan are just kind of standing there, like, with their heads together, you know, hands on their chins trying to figure this out. How, how do we get this shot? What, what, what do we do? Do we have to, like, go to the studio and try to, like, shoot a bag on a green screen and try to composite it into there? And they're not liking that too much. Because, you know, that could look shitty. Yeah. I think they're there for like an hour, like the whole set goes on break, maybe longer. And this is according to the book, and it's one of the Cohen's spouses, so I'm going to think it's pretty much true, but then, so Bridges is in his trailer, you know, they're just hanging out, waiting to shoot, and he gets wind of what the situation is, and he's like, why don't you shoot it in reverse? and throw the bag up in the air towards the car and drive the car backwards over the bridge. And there the Coens are, and they look at each other like, fucking hey. So this shot, where the car drives over the bridge and Walter throws it out, is actually reversed. The stunt guy drove the car backwards over the bridge, and there was the uh, first assistant director standing just off screen to the bottom right, next to Joel and Ethan, and as the car drove by, backwards over the bridge, he threw the bag up in the air, flipping so it landed near Walter's, well, the stuntman's arm. (laughs) Okay. So, well, look at that. I'm looking at the shot. So, like, because you can't it's, really see his hand on the bag. No, you can't see his hand. Bag. But, like, is there part of the shot where the car is moving? Because it seems to me like the car is moving. No, yeah, the shot starts, and there it is. The bag is, like, practically, yeah, it's there. All right. Now, that, so then in, he does it. that in itself is a pretty good shot to, like, throw it up in the air and have it land right near the driver's well, side window like that. Well, how was he like able that. to throw the bag? How was this director able to throw the bag like that, though? Well, he look where the bag ends up. That's where it starts. It's to the bottom right. Like it, it, well, my issue is if the stunt guy could only throw it like 12 inches or whatever, how was this guy able to do it? Just because he able to use his whole body? Maybe they, maybe they made some kind of like bag cannon? The stunt guy is driving the car and putting his arm out the window. Right, right. So he's yeah, like, yeah. his elbow very, is down. All he's got is like the movement very little leverage. from his elbow to his wrist. He's trying to like, you know, there's right. no, there's nothing there. 
Like, yeah. the stunt this... guy is just standing there, and he can just use his whole body, both hands, both, and just, like, heave it up in the air and just try to time it right. so both it hits hands, the car. Right. He could, like, even do something like like squat down on the ground, like, backwards and, like, stand up, throw it back over his head or something. He could do whatever he wanted to. Do, like, you know? catapult it up there. Yeah, yeah. And get it but, really but going. But, like, the stunt guy with his arm hanging out the window, he's basically using <laughs> his wrist to try to throw it in the air. You know, it's just, it's just a leverage deal. So is this... It's not because the bag was heavy or anything. It was just your arm yeah, is at yeah, an yeah. awkward yeah, angle. Right. So... How about that? So... So does that explain the light? Well, it doesn't explain the light, but it, it informs the light because when you watch it, the light goes from, like, pointing towards the ground and moves up. So, since we know this was filmed in reverse, for some reason the light was going up and moving down. I, I, I have no, I don't understand what that means, or why that's significant, but if you look at it, the light moves up. But in reality, the light moved down. Well, if you want to try to explain it in the logic of within the movie, the nihilists are down there. That's true. That's true. So they, okay. who knows what nice. they have? Some kind of lamp. They're down there moving around, getting ready. You know, like they could, like well, you know, they have flashlights or something. They're well, getting ready to grab the bag and make off on their little motorcycles. Yeah, they're on motorcycles. So if they're moving their little handlebars around, they could be moving lights around. Yeah. Okay. That works. I like that. I like that a lot because they are right down there. But I don't think the Coens were like, well, you know, the nihilists are down there. Let's have like the light move. They just so imperceptibly, no one would ever notice unless they went through minute by minute and like tried to look at each shot in incredible detail. But so they just wanted it to look cool. Basically, they wanted chiaroscuro, dark light, dark light, and they wanted some light down there just to make it look cool give right. some definition to the edge yeah, exactly. of the bridge there it, it, it shows the edge of the bridge it makes you understand just that with that bridge like without that light down there it would be too dark it'd be flat you wouldn't understand be, that there's yeah. an upper level and a bottom level and that the nihilist yeah. could come from down there yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah you need sense. the light the light makes sense why it moves why it moves i think knows? i think that's a bona fide mistake yeah, it's a mistake. Like, maybe it is somehow to do with that with that guy chucking the bag up somehow. Like maybe he fell backwards into a light or something. I don't know. Uh, he's not way down there. I don't know. Looks like there's a lot of footprints down there too. Do you see this? I'm positive. Yeah, I did, see, I did see the footprints. Yeah, like, I noticed the footprints. Why out in the middle of nowhere are there so many footprints around? You haven't had a strong rain in the last someone week or lives, two. Someone lives under that bridge, right? Yeah, he's got a giant lantern. Some giant lantern footprint maker down there. A nihilist. <laughs> I don't give a shit about anything. So this is... This is the climax of the first act here. And this was the second gut punch. We've, we've made it all the way there. See, you said it's the climax of the first act. Whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I... <laughs> <laughs> You're not gonna slip that one by me. I I do not agree. I do not agree, sir. 
Dude, are you just not agreeing with my terminology, or you just don't think this is the end of the first act? I don't think this is the end of the first act. I think the end of the first act was when his rug got peed on. I'm maintaining. That, uh, okay. <laughs> I think they threw convention out the window. It's like, yeah, end of the first act happens three minutes into the film. Five minutes, whatever it is. Done. Now we're in it. He's He's been trying to solve this problem now for a long time. Like half an hour. This is just a further ratcheting of the events that are already in play. What, what problem has he been trying to solve, though? Getting his rug back. Getting his life the back to normal. The movie isn't about him getting a, a rug back. Sure it is, though. It's yeah, about movie... him trying to maintain a semblance of normalcy in his life. Like, he wants things to be steady and easy and not be too crazy. And they've been crazy since minute four. That may be what is like the, what is it, the inciting incident or whatever. Did you go to film school or something? Off. No, I just read, I just read about the three-act structure on Wikipedia, <laughs> but... The inciting incident, right, is, is, is the rug. Sure, that gets him into this world, but the first act ends. You know, you have a um, this dramatic question. What's the dramatic question? See, this is, this, <laughs> see, this is right, where right, we right, get right. into it, where they don't even give a shit about it, you know? Right. Well, the question has to do with the fact that, like, what happened to Bunny? What happened to Bunny? That's the dramatic question. Well, like, so this is the part where we're in. So after this, after this, you know, um, they don't make the handoff. This is where, um, this is where it raises the, this is where the stakes are raised. This is where, okay, the dude is now involved in this kidnapping. He effed it up. Um, See, I get that. You've I, created this real situation now. The stakes and the rest, are raised, yes, I understand, yeah. but that's the entire second act. Like, you try and you fail, and the stakes keep getting higher. That's what the second act does. So this is, so if we're gonna, can, can take this... Yeah, but so throughout the whole movie, though, he's not trying to get his rug back. He is for like, the entire movie. He's dealing with this issue of the money and bunny, and you know all all of the all of everything has to do with that. It has to do with this kind of game. Mod gets involved. Wait, and the um, rug is still his, in play when his Mod car gets, gets stolen. He doesn't have the money. They go to Larry Sellers, little Larry. Like it's all about the the million dollars and and bunny. But the rug is in play well into the mod era. Yes, yes. Well, with that money, I figure you can buy one of any rugs that doesn't have sentimental value to me. Sure. Or, you know, it's like well, still the there. The, the rug is there. All the dude ever wanted was his rug back. He says that to Jackie Treehorn. All right. Here it is. Wikipedia. Three-act structure. Oh, Lord. The first act, the first act is usually used for exposition. 
to establish the main characters. The stranger does that for us in the first two, three minutes of the he movie. Doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't establish the characters. He talks about the dude a little bit. Their relationships and the world they live in. Everyone in Los Angeles County. So that's millions. Later in the first act, a dynamic on screen incident occurs that confronts the main character, the protagonist, <laughs> whose attempts to deal with this incident lead to a second and more dramatic situation known as the first turning point, which A signals the end of the first act. B, ensures life will never be the same again for the protagonist. And C, raises a dramatic question that will be answered in the climax of the film. A man comes into my home and pees on my rug. That is quite an incident. Will my life ever be the same as it was post-rug pee? See, that is the dynamic on-screen incident that occurs and confronts the main character. Right, and it's the, yeah, I'm just going to stop it there. That's the, that is this, later in the first act, the dynamic on-screen incident occurs that confronts the main character. Yes, the P. <clears throat> but his attempt to deal with that incident leads to a second and more dramatic situation known as the first turning point. Which is the end of the first act. Which A signals the end of the first act. The second act typically depicts the protagonist's attempt to resolve a problem initiated by the first turning point, only to find him or herself in ever-worsening situations. I hate this. I hate everything about this description. I hate this. And so I, I don't think the Coens were caring. I don't think they gave a shit about this. I don't this. think that they may not have, but if we were to, to com- construct this together, I don't know. I think they might have. I mean, in some way. I mean, so if we're going to talk, you know, compare this to Star Wars, right? Which Star Wars is, you know, they followed this kind of stuff. Prototypical. To a T, it's a prototypical right? story. Yes. You know, you could say. You know, the, the droids, Luke buys the droids. Oh, that's the end of the first act, because that's the thing that sets it all in motion. But that's not the beginning of the first act, right? Aunt and uncle getting killed. Yes, that's the end of the first act. That's where the, the, the hero, the alert. protagonist, finds himself now in this larger world. Um, you know, he needs to... He finds himself in the larger, yeah, in this larger world where he needs to venture out. Life will never be the same again now, right? Buying the droids did not do that for him, even though you could say, well, that's what put everything in motion. I think the rug is like the droids. It's like kind of starts things out. All right, all right, right. I, I, get, what, I get where you're going. I'm not, I'm not saying you're wrong and I'm right, but I'm not fully convinced yet either because I think you could play around with that. Uh, I don't know, because Bunny's already gone. He already knows she's gone. He's already on the hook for the money before this even happens, you know? I don't well, know. this is where, like, if he just goes and makes the handoff and gives it to the nihilist, like, okay, everything is fine. Or at least, you know, in his mind, that's how it would be. But instead... Well, the in the you know, as the dude so succinctly puts it, you know, you fucked it up. But, you fucked it up. 
which is a beautiful, <laughs> like, he does it twice, and it's so <laughs> genuine. Fucked it up! Fucked it up! Anyway. Yeah. And he he does another nice fuck moment here. What the fuck? Where right. Walter's like, alright, 15 MPH. I'll double back and beat it out of one of them. Right. Give me the Uzi. What? Uzi? You didn't think I was rolling yeah. out of here and they, what the fuck? <laughs> Yeah. Like well, if you watch this, like with the, with the with the uh, captions on, yeah, the, the dude. Because again, <laughs> you can look at the dialogue just kind of more dispassionately, even just the whole thing. It's yeah, what the fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> fuck! What the fuck? <laughs> at one point, he says, "Walter, please," which is right. something I don't necessarily hear. I mean, again, to someone watching with the captions, it gives more like gravity to the whole thing. I I heard that I. Did the eyes yeah. closed listening to audio? Yeah. There's a lot of like little nuggets the dude is throwing out there that are kind of buried behind the CCR and Walter's yelling in the car. But yeah, fifteen, dude, this is it. Let's take that hill, Walter, please. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> this is it. Let's take that hill, Walter. He comes out. And so this is also the second gut punch for me, which I realize is perhaps controversial. But again, I think this scene is just so hilarious. I the mean... comedy of errors is so excellent. You know, and we just had in... We just had, you know, not too long ago, we had the Jesus and that ridiculousness. Where I was, okay, that sucked me into the movie. You know, the G, I was like, okay, this is, this is, this is just awesome. More than I thought it might be. Yeah. And then this scene just is like, okay, I was already kind of elevated. This just took it over the top for me. You can't. You know, Walter jumping out. Ugh. The Uzi is too, like just in the bag, spinning around on the spinning ground. Spinning around. Off, just firing bullets in all directions. In all directions. <laughs> it's too much to take in. Like, you can't even know everything that's happening here yeah like walter like throwing his ringer it, you're, you're already like fuck this is just this is just fucked up they could like, just drive on to the in and out burger this is just such awesome buffoonery just immediately go to the in and out burger and grab a burger and that'd be enough like that would be ridiculous enough he just throws his dirty undies what what the fuck did you do that for and then they drive on and get some food <laughs> that'd be ridiculous enough but instead, he grabs an Uzi, jumps out of the car. The dude's like, ah! One of his classic, like, he has these uh, shitty driving moments a lot in this movie, it seems like. And the real suitcase is rolling around. The Uzi's blasting off. Walter's rolling. He slams into the telephone pole. <laughs> the nihilists take the wrong one. I mean, on and on. That had to be a lot of fun to write this. Because they, they were probably playing a game of, like, one-upsmanship chicken or something. Yeah. I bet I can make it more ridiculous. <clears throat> had to be fun. I have a problem with, um... I have to give credit to the Reverend on this one. It made me analyze this a little bit. But... So... Worst case scenario, when Walter rolls out of the car, 15 MPH, right? Right. And then he jumps out. So 
They're going at least 15 miles an hour for 10 seconds. I'd say at most 15 miles per hour, but continue. While they were going faster than that, Walter waited until they had decelerated to 15 to roll okay, out Okay, you're talking about before he rolled out or after? Well, I'm talking about after, from the point he rolls out to yeah, the point yeah. the dude makes contact with the telephone pole. But okay. they had to come from a higher velocity and reach 15 MPH before Walter rolled out. Yes. So it's possible they slow down a little bit. Either way, it takes the car 10 seconds from the point Walter rolls out until it makes contact with the telephone pole and crashes. It also takes 10 seconds for the dude to run from the stalled car back to Walter. Seems like there's a discrepancy there because I don't think the dude is running 15 miles per hour. No, I would seriously doubt that. They're playing a little fast and loose with distances here. Well, I think he's slowing down. At 15 NPH, he rolls out. The car continues to decelerate. So, I mean, he's, it's not 15 miles per hour times 10 seconds. Also, the car is, like, swerving. Yeah, I see. I'm looking at the thing. Shot again. That's all fine and dandy, but you and I can't run 15 miles per hour. Barely well, no, 12. No. no, I'm saying the car was could have been... Yeah, I don't know what I'm saying. I'm just saying I don't think the car was going 15 miles an hour for those 10 seconds. It was not going the whole time. less. Well, not the whole time, but it was going 15 and then down. It's right. not going 2 when it hits the telephone pole. You know, it's going at least 5. So, okay, take the average. 15 to 5 over 10 seconds. So, fine, 7.5 miles per hour? I mean, that's on the conservative end, I would say. I have another problem where, you know, we see the reverse shot of the bridge and there's no Uzi and there's no Walter anywhere there. So we're led to believe that Walter is behind the camera, but that just doesn't add up. Like Walter was pretty close to the bridge when he jumped out. And in right. fact, at 3635, we see the car and the bridge in the background, and as it's swerving around just before it hits the telephone pole. And I think we see the Uzi package on the side of the road, but it's between the edge of the road, the white line, and the actual, like, shoulder. Where we know the Uzi is actually in the middle of the road, and yes. so is Walter, and yet nothing. Right. Yeah, I hear you. Just one of those things where... You know, these they gave him a break, and it's just the stunt guy driving, and they just need to get this shot. They're not going to have Walter lay on the ground for three hours while they try to get one shot. Right, or even a Walter stand-in, I guess. I guess. I mean, wouldn't it... Well, I mean, even the Uzi wasn't laying in ground on the ground in the right spot, so there's definitely something... I mean, why wouldn't you at least put the Uzi in, here. in the road? You know, because there you cut to Walter getting up off the road, fine. He's not there, it's a little courtesy to the actor, but Uzi's supposed to be in the middle of the road. Like, how does something like that go by unnoticed? Because it doesn't, none of it matters. To so go back to what we've been saying. 
None of but, it matters. You know, and to talk about the distances here, like they're definitely doing some wide angle type things. Well, well, I think they're doing two different things. They're doing when the dude is running, that's definitely wide angle. Because even like the way he runs, I mean, and, and that just makes sense, right? Because you have this car in the background, he's running from foreground or from background to foreground. Like you want to use a wide angle lens to exaggerate that. Sure, absolutely. You know, and that's what they, they do there. Um, I mean, the dude, if you really look at it, like, you know, and I never really thought about it, like he's, he is covering a lot of ground a lot really of ground. quickly. Really quick. And again, I think the, you know, the focal length of the lens is exaggerating that even more. And then when they cut to the shot of the, well, I guess it's the shot before that when they show the bikes first going out. Yeah, I'm not sure that. I think that's kind of wide also. Like the the way the road just kind of fills up the entire foreground, like in this massive expanse of concrete, and they look like they're way out there far away. When really it's like 30 feet, probably. Yeah. But again, it exaggerates the hopelessness of like, you know. You're not going to get there. You're not going to like get these guys. Like, yeah, they're just, this is just happening off in the distance. There's little red lights of motorcycles driving away. The other problem I have with this scene is when, so when you see the shot of the car impacting the telephone pole, there's like moonlight, what's supposed to be moonlight, streaking across the road from left to right. So you can see shadows like of the car's tires going from left to right, uh, the telephone poles on the left side of the road. Like there's one shadow in particular you can see. It's very just a stark line going across the road. Uh, it's about maybe a third of the way to the bridge, so closer to the car where the car hits the pole than to the bridge. And then when you, you see the reverse shot of the empty bridge and the nihilists come up out of there, there's a shadow there, but I don't think that's not the same telephone pole. So you don't actually see the telephone pole there. But then when you cut to the shot of the dude covering his enormous ground, there that shadow is larger than life, like just cutting across the road, 3648. Yeah. It's just weird because none of it matches. Like when you see the car hitting the telephone pole, you can see everything from the, the, the impact point, which is the farthest they, the dude would manage to drive on that road. So that's the farthest point he got to all the way back to the bridge. And yet, that shadow's not there. I guess this would be at 36... 36, right. maybe. But even if that one is, the one you can kind of vaguely see it there, if that is, then definitely Walter is not there. I don't know. Just seems like a lot of variance. Since this scene was at night and they had lights up, like, it shouldn't have changed too much. Like, what happened that it had to be so different? Was it over multiple nights, and they had to restage it? 
they, was this a pickup? Were some of these shots pickups, like, much later on? They couldn't remember where to put the Uzi package? Could have been. Or maybe, yeah. This is a question for Simon Tarr, I think. I would agree. I mean, there's just so much happening here so quickly. It's even hard to, even doing it this, like, you know, deep watching, it's hard to even process it all. This is why we revisit so, so when often. So when you're watching the movie as a movie goer, like, none of this even comes, like, we, you know, we've talked about some things that can almost register. Right. Right. Almost. Uh, totally. Uh, good audio note. When the car hits the telephone pole, like the radiator has a leak or something, so you can hear like this very like wet, like hiss, like as the dude is running towards Walter, covering his ground incredibly fast, and they they fade. The radiator hiss over to the right channel and then faded out as the dude runs closer. Even though the camera's not moving and we're not getting any farther away from the car, it's like we're hearing the audio from the dude's perspective as he runs towards Walter. Which I thought was a cool thing to do and something right. I, I wouldn't have thought to do probably because... It's like, I just have an idea that, you know, the sound should be married to the camera. How does camera relate to story? Well, the sound should follow the camera. Right. That's one way well, camera relates to story. What about the other sound happening in this scene, though? The dude is yelling, we have it. And that, that and is that, related to the camera. That's following the camera. Right. But the hissing so, of the radiator is not. So that's like they're diametrically opposed to one another. Right, right. That's it interesting. So it's not like they've decided to, like, let's make the sound come from his point of view. Well, they did for the hissing, but not for, for the, the yelling. Yes. They, they cancel each other out, I guess. I think they had a little wind machine to, like, make the brush move around a little bit. Or it was just really windy. It's like you can see well, the trees yeah. moving, the brush is moving. You can see the dude's hair. You think like, they had a little wind machine there, or was it just uh -huh. windy that day? Well, if they did shoot it over, you know, if they did do pickups, or, you know, shoot it over multiple days or something, right? Like, you're not going to have the same meteorological conditions. No, but this is the first time we've really seen the outside in any detail. So, like, I'm not saying that things were still and now they're moving. I'm just saying they're moving. Right, right, right. Well, I'm just thinking in the terms of did they make it happen? I mean, you probably want to control as much as possible. So, since it might be, yeah, I don't know the answer to that, I guess. I mean, like, could you put up a big something to block the wind. I guess you could. It was too windy. But why would you? You wouldn't have to, because you're going to loop this well, sound anyway. If you shot a bunch of stuff the day before and it was still. Well, right, right. And then the next day you want it to match. 
Or they shot one day and it's windy. The next day it's not windy. You bring in some fans. So the way to control that is to just have it be windy. And if it's windy naturally, fine. And if it's not, put up a giant fan. It would be easier, yes, to probably make things windy than still. I'm yeah. imagining. Yeah, you... But at the same time, again, a lot of the stuff might not matter, right? It might be a detail that doesn't matter as much. Maybe. I think that's it, where I don't know. That's where I'm really lost in this whole thing. What? Not being a Hollywood filmmaker myself is like, you know, and as we watch this, like what details are important and what aren't. Right. Back, right? Like backwards here we writing see all in your this. movie. That seems important. Apparently not. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And then you were going to say what? Like having the bushes and trees be still in one scene and moving in another might not be important or it might be extremely important. Yeah, I think it all just depends on a lot of factors. Like what, though? What are the factors? You know, I want to crack this code and understand it. I can't. I don't understand it. This is why I suck real bad. You know, understanding what's important and what's not. I mean, I think it might have to do with even just how it's cut together. Like, if you cut directly from, like, still bushes to moving bushes, it might be more jarring than if you know, the next shot starts at the road and pans up. Or if, you know, or if even, you know, it just might depend on how they're they're framed. Or, you know, if you're really drawing attention, it was just something in the background. Again, like in the bowling alley, there's those signs that are backwards. The letters are all backwards. doesn't matter. You never notice it. Because it's not like you're looking at the ball. You're not looking at that. It doesn't matter. Mm. This seems like a... It seems like this is an intentional detail that they put there. It's like it gives a little more interest to the background. Things are kind of moving around. Right. It seems like it was on purpose, but you never know. Sometimes. Right. Or maybe it was just there and they went with it. Like, because, you know, having. Well, so, okay, let me go back to this whole thing. Like, I this is kind of going ahead. Well, do I need to go ahead to see this? Let me see. Because, like, there's a lot of stuff moving, I guess is all I'm saying. Like, I don't know that they could... I don't know if they could do all this with fans. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, so they really just went with it. And maybe if it was still the next day, it wouldn't matter. They'd add, like, some of the dude's hair just kind of... I will say all the movement is good because it reinforces the fact that you're outside. Like, it just seems more natural. Yes. Yes, I agree. I agree. That's why right. I, I lean towards, like, they made things move. Right. Well, it could have even been a little breezy that day and the clouds are moving, but then, you know, there's some fan there. So when the dude gets close to the camera, they just want to, like, you know, they really want his locks there to be swaying a little bit. They wanted to make sure that happened. You know, it's if you examine some of these quick shots, like at 3627, so quick it's less than a second, but the trees aren't swaying around in that shot. 3627? That's so quick. They have a jump so cut here. Quick you can't tell. I know, yeah, it's hard jump, to tell. Jump cut. Jump cut when the Uzi, the back of the car. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, that's just it, right? You have to know when to break the rules. 36. 
30, 36, 31, jump cut. And how about that one sign that's all off-center? <laughs> You've seen this? So it's more than a jump cut. It's like they scaled it up or something. Well, like, if you look, there's these two signs on the side of the road. That are all facing away from the road, like, directly away from the road. There's tons of them. There's three of them here I'm looking at. 36, well, 31. There's three of them. They're facing yes, out into the wilderness. look at the shot before that. The dude, pa the car passes those signs, then there's the jump cut, and the car is in front of the signs again. What's so that? it doesn't just jump in the sense that, like, you jump from, like... It jumps like, you know, spatially and temporally. Yes. <laughs> yes, it does. It does pass those signs. I was about to argue with you, but no, you can see it go past all those signs, and then they cut to the close-up with the taillight exploding, and it's in front of those signs again. Yeah, it passes them all again. The signs which are facing out into the wilderness and not towards the road, and what could they possibly say? <laughs> Warning, there's a road here. Do not Do cross. not get on this road, because there might be cars. I mean, they're, I think they're only vaguely pointing away from the road. Brad, they do seem to be slightly angled. Sometimes the things <laughs> you say are completely <laughs> erroneous. I mean, they're pointing to the opposing traffic. They're on the other side. No. So, yes, you're seeing the back of them. Be honest but, And they yourself. are slightly... Tilted some of them. Be honest. Just for once in your life, just do yourself <laughs> this favor, this small favor. Look at 3627 and look at that sign. You know the light, whatever this light is supposed to be, you can see the shadows. It's pointing perpendicular to the road. Look at the shadow the sign post is casting on the sign. It is like a 25 degree angle. It is not pointing to the opposing traffic. It's pointing out into the wilderness. Not completely perpendicular, but it's pointing out into the wilderness. Coming from the other direction, you would not be able to see the front of these signs. You can't sit there and tell me you would. Dare you. Dare you. Can't do it. You would the not three, be able to read that. The three signs I see going from left to right, the first one is like slightly tilted toward the wilderness. The next one is like tilted toward the road, like perpendicular, perpendicularly almost. So yeah, you won't be able to read that one. That one's kind of weird. And then the third one is further down. That seems like it's kind of okay where it is. Yeah, that one you might be able to see the third one. Yeah, you could probably see the third one. But the first two? Even so, the third one's like, it's not perfect. You can still see the shadow on the left side. You know, it's still pointed, like, weirdly out. Were they just putting... Did they put those there? Those weren't there. They put them there. Why? Why, Brad? It only made their job harder to make, like, to draw attention to how the action doesn't match. I don't think they put them there. I think they're just there. And they, they went over and, like, had somebody, like, twist them around? No, I don't think they're twisted around. I think they were just kind of naturally twisted. Come on. I can understand Over one would EOs. be a mile marker. Maybe one is like bridge, yeah. 15 miles per hour. But what would the third one be? There's really all these signs right here? Are you kidding? 
Never seen such a thing. This big pile of dirt they're sticking in. Like, come on. I think they were out there crafting this scene for some reason that we can't comprehend that seemed important. Well, perhaps. We can't know, so. It does kind of look like there's a pile of dirt. You're right about that. I was going to say the pile of dirt just extends along the entire road. It doesn't. But it doesn't. But they couldn't really long. secure the signs without an extra pile of dirt there. They probably didn't stand up. What with all the wind? Did you look at this uh, nice, healthy picture of Lindsay Lohan I posted here? She's looking very I healthy haven't. now. Let's see. It's a quote, stunning Instagram photo, end quote. And you know if it's coming from the New York Daily News, it's got to be legit. So rehab did her some good. I think she's going to make a comeback. Lindsay Lohan stuns in a new set of selfies, Brad. Yeah. She's taking some selfies. And she's looking at herself right. on the rear-facing camera screen instead of looking at the viewer. That's kind of strange. It is. Here we are. We develop... No, she is looking at herself on the camera screen. That's what I mean. She's looking hey, at herself she's... on the camera screen instead of like, just frame yourself up and now look into the where the lens should be because you're taking it in a mirror. Right. Know? Look at the camera lens in the mirror. Right. Or not. Well, that's what she uh, was going for. I think she didn't know any better. She has an iPhone. With the... What is that symbol on it? That is just her some case with some kind of weird artwork on it. To be honest, I can't a hundred percent say for sure it's an iPhone, it, but I'm pretty sure it is. I'm pretty sure it is. That's based on where the camera is located. You know, that picture back. is a little Lebowski esque. Now that I'm looking at it. I'm not saying it is, but well, it's a guy with long hair with sunglasses. Looking oh, at the a, picture on the camera. Yeah, looking at a framed thing of himself, a la the Time magazine thing. I don't right. I don't think it is, but it's just a little Lebowski-esque. I mean, it's definitely not Lebowski. No. Lebowski-esque. That's, I didn't even notice that before. Weird. Can't say what that is. I feel like you could almost read that. Anyway, she's doing good. We're very happy for her. Um, I'm thrilled. Hopefully she comes back and graces us with some more The Canyons quality movies. She could play Bunny in the Lebowski reboot. Or the documentary about the fictitious world of the Big Lebowski, which I would watch. Yes. yes. She was also on Oprah, I'm My Own Worst en Enemy, she said. Yeah. So many cases, we are our own worst enemies. Lowen is inf infinitely relatable. 
And that's why she has staying power. This is what I'm finding out, you know? It started out sort of as a joke, but, you know, I'm, like, honestly looking for news about her now. I watched uh, He's Just Not That Into You again, by the way. I think we're in the uh, dreams and movies we've seen section now, apparently. Okay. But I watched dreams that. And movies we've seen. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I just can't help it. I just really wanted to watch it. And it was every bit as good as I remember it being. I love it. I had a dream where... So this was an upsetting dream. And... So I had the dream before I watched Dread, but I, I watched some of Dread before I fell asleep. Now, the, Dread is not a very good movie. It's kind of like Judge Dread. I guess it's the same concept. Yeah, uh, it's another take on the same yeah. source material. Right, less hokey, a little more gritty, still kind of ridiculous. But they... Now, now, I'm not claiming this is a good movie or anything, but they do some cool things visually where... One of the plot points, I guess, is this drug that people are doing, and the drug makes time seem like it's going by at one one-hundredth of its normal rate. So they do a lot of cool stuff visually to, uh, to show that, like smoke coming out of people's mouths, but like just this ultra-slow motion. Meanwhile, like you have this guy with his gun like coming in, blam, blam, blam. And, like, some of the people are experiencing it at 1 100 speed, and other people are experiencing it at, like, full-on action movie speed, and they're cutting between them, and it's pretty cool. Right. That's pretty cool. But, um, I had a dream before I saw that movie where it's a similar sort of visual aesthetic going on, and... I was involved in this horrendous car accident where I wasn't feeling any pain, but it was clear that I was at the center of attention and like I had been spilled out. It was at nighttime on a busy highway and I had been like spilled out onto so the road. So it wasn't on a bridge outside of LA somewhere. No, it wasn't. On no a one bridge. around. No, no. People everywhere. People everywhere. It's a main thoroughfare, and it was obvious that, you know, from the concern in people's faces and eyes that I was not doing too well. Like, it's like, oh, yep, this is probably it. But um, time was going really, really, really slowly, and, like, the background got all blurred. Not so blurred I couldn't. Like, I could still see people, ambulances, cop cars, traffic slowed down. And I'm just laying on the road, but, like, the firefighters and the cops are going by, like, like, ultra, ultra slow. And I'm looking around, I'm just moving regular speed, just laying there, like, okay, okay, this seems bad. And then this little man shows up. And he's standing right next to me, but he's about two feet tall. Okay. Do you remember Lifter? Do you remember this movie, Spaceship, Spherical Spaceship? Yes. Yes. Do you remember Johnny Jones, the uh, CEO who comes and tries to recruit the guy, the the, the oldest fellow, the older fellow in the movie? 
He's wearing a suit. He's in the bar. And then he's in the spaceship. I remember... I, re- I remember the face at the end. No, it wasn't that guy. But it wasn't that. That no. wasn't supposed to be the same guy. Uh-uh. Yeah, I, I have to say, I'm going to have to pass. All right. Well, you know, I've, I felt pretty proud of myself because we had an actual, like, you know, actor, actor actor there who wasn't, like, 22 in the movie. But yeah, he's a um, decent actor. But, you know, he's older for then maybe 50, Start, 50 or something. Like that. I, I'm starting to maybe. Well, you could find this if you really wanted to, and like look at his face. Anyway, it was that guy. So he's like 50, 52, and but he's two feet tall, and he's wearing like he's just standing there, and he's moving at normal speed. He's talking to me, and he's wearing a um, like a green scoop neck leotard, like tights. I don't know if okay. leotard is the right word, but it's like full body so it goes all the way down his legs and then his feet I guess are bare and then like all the way up to his shoulders but a scoop neck so it's like exposing his chest hair and he's there like hey 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 it's, it's gonna be okay everything's alright you're gonna you're gonna be fine you're gonna get through this and it's like ambulances sirens but all in like whoa like in slow motion except for me and the little green leotard guy. That was punctuated then. I would go from that to this um, scramble of words, but they were disassociated words that would come on top of each other. My mind was trying to force into having some relationship to each other. Um, Jaundice pineapple and they lay on top of each other you must make sense of this boom, 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 and they smash each other together and then two others would come and try to like make sense of each other. and then i cut back to like chaos on the highway with leotard man two foot tall leotard man there's a dream i had that's a rather upsetting that's a dream man there's a lot. I'm. I. I don't know where to begin. I don't know what to say. But do they mean any? They don't mean anything. You know. You just sometimes you just have dreams. Yeah. Exactly. That's all I got. Well, like I said, I didn't see any movies. Hmm. I feel like that can't be true, but I can't. I'm at a loss. You must have seen some. I've watched. I watched Safe. Have you seen Safe? Safe. Safe? This is your boy. Yes, I've seen Safe. Safe is with the the little girl that can do math. Yes, May, with your boy, Jason Statham. Yes, 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 I saw that. Of course you did. I think we may have referenced this in another episode. I just watched it. I hadn't seen it before. I watched it a couple days ago. Yeah, I watched it earlier this summer sometime. Um, Yeah, it was just on Netflix. I was like, yeah, I'll watch it. Right, that's... It's on Netflix. Put it on. It's fine. I thought it started out pretty good, but by the end, I was like, "What?" Yeah, it's fine. I I knew what to expect. We didn't talk about uh, Star Wars, the rebooted Star Wars, the uh, the film and miniatures. Yes, if that's to be believed, I put a little asterisk next to it. 
Oh, I, oh I didn't notice the asterisk. I mean, I didn't put the asterisk next to it, like like literally. But in yeah, this is, in my mind, sure. there is an asterisk. Yes, next of to course, it of course. That says like maybe these are reports, right? Right. But yeah, the reports that uh, that they will be shooting Star Wars Episode Seven on film fifty two nineteen Kodak fifty two nineteen to be specific, yeah. and that they would be. Uh, yeah, and that ILM is is uh, increasing its miniature division in preparation for the, right. for the movie. I mean, if that's Which true... Which makes so much sense if it's true. So much sense. Isn't that brilliant? If they actually do that. Yeah, there, it's there's really brilliant. There's some hope. I mean, I guess it all depends on how you, you know, look at this these things. But, you know, w- the original Star Wars really pushed the boundaries of special effects and what you could do with cinema in that regard. Oh, totally. What you could do with bringing a fantastic vision to life. And fantastical is maybe a better word than fantastic. Right? And uh, so they did that. And then, you know, I think Lucas made the mistake of trying to, like, do that again. In 99? In 99. Saying, like, well, I want to push the boundaries. Like, this is going to be the first, like, super digital film that has so much digital and so much special effects, like it's going to blow everyone's mind. Like, we're going to shoot the whole thing on a green screen. Like, everything's going to be digital, man. And, like, yeah, it just didn't work. Well. Literally, they realized that, like, that wasn't actually cool because, like, everyone can do that. Anyone that has a computer can just do that shit. I don't know. Is it that or is it just because he sucks as a filmmaker, you know? Like, maybe it was time for somebody to do that. Like that that did take a lot of guts. And uh, far be it for me to be a, you know, Lucas apologist, but right, like that, you know, that well, did maybe, kind of usher in a new era of like, shit. Look what we can do. Like, yeah, you could just. Well, do... I, I just thought you meant a new era of shit. Period. But yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes, perhaps that too. Uh, yeah. Three hundred, maybe, as the shining example of the new era of shit. Or but, uh, Adla- or uh, Sharknado, Atlantic Rim. <laughs> Stop! What is that? Atlantic Rim, from uh, that's the thing. Look up the trailer for Atlantic Rim. It's from uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the of the uh, Guillermo del Toro. The Asylum. The Asylum. They made Sharknado. Sharknado. They they make all these crazy low budget sci fi films like the ones that are on Sci Fi Channel to get the attention like, right? Like I know like the Asylum I I'm I, I, I'm I might suck maybe I'm way wrong, but I thought that Sharknado was done by the Asylum, and they're doing a movie called Atlantic. They've Rim. already done it. Oh my goodness! They did it, and um, they. They, it was like released on DVD and digital download. Like, the, yeah, Shark, yeah, the Asylum did do Sharknado, and they did Atlantic Rim, and it comes out the same time. Like, it was released on DVD, you know, in your Walmart the exact same time Pacific Rim came out the same day. So you can go to Walmart and be like, "Well, can't get Pacific Rim." Yeah, might as well get Atlantic Rim. What's the second biggest ocean? <laughs> Why the Atlantic? Of course. Let's get this Atlantic Rim. Yeah, exactly. And they do, yeah, a lot of these, like, um, you know, they take, like, 
a re, like like uh, yeah like a blockbuster movie and twist it that way. You know, have you seen on Netflix all the stuff they have like that, especially for kids? Like they'll take something that's uh, that's really popular, like like these kids, like like there's like oh what was it oh, shit like there there's so there's Happy Feet right with the penguin sure, and they have something called like. Jo- tappy toes, <laughs> joyous digits. Yeah, tappy toes. It's a, but like the cover looks. This has a penguin dancing. It's called, but it's called like tappy toes. And they have yeah all these things, and they're like really, really bad, like really bad. <sighs> but kids of a certain age Instead really like, don't care, you know. Yeah, exactly. Instead of like Toy Story, it's like you know action figure yarn. I don't know. <laughs> like they just have these things, like like literally like that. Oh, amusement object. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Annual gift man instead of Santa Claus. <laughs> oh, my but, goodness. Uh, yeah. But they have, uh, yeah, Atlantic Rim, which watch the trailer for that. It's pretty okay. awesome. We'll put it in the show notes. That's, that's fun for the Tumblr. I'll write it down. I'm writing it down now. Yeah. We don't want to Atlantic rip Rim. anybody no, out. That one. Yeah, Atlantic Rim but trailer. Atlantic um, Rim trailer. <laughs> yeah. So here, I'm looking at some of the stuff they do, right? They do... Um, yeah, Abraham Lincoln versus zombies. Snakes on a train. So that's pretty awesome. Well, <laughs> right. Because... There were snakes on a plane, which was already like a crappy kind of like, oh, this is a goofy, campy premise. But like, they're like, well, how, we don't have the rights to that goofy, goofy, campy premise, you know, like versus like, you know, taking a, I don't know, a more mainstream success. They actually have snakes on a train. <laughs> Transmorphers. <laughs> of course, Atlantic Rim. Transmorphers. <laughs> yes. See, why don't we do that, you know? We could do that. I mean, is that all it takes? Just do the shittiest thing you can possibly think of? Well, that's a viable takes, business all model? All it takes to do what? I, I mean, it. you know, I think it has more to do with, the again, like the business acumen and your ability to, you know, work that than it really does the product, right? I, I've got one. Are you ready? We can do yes. this. This is going to make us. We can. We won't any longer have to be beholden to our seven podcast fans for justification, for val- validation. Let's stage a Russia versus United States tank biathlon. Okay. Our tanks versus their tanks. Oh, shit. We can't. They've already done it. Damn it. Russia challenges U.S. and tank biathlon. I I remember on Fox they had a bunch of little people versus an elephant. And they were each pulling a, like, aircraft. Like a 747 or something. So it was like an elephant. I hope those little people beat the shit out of that elephant. Versus, like, a hundred little people. Did the little people win? Which one? It was called Man versus Beast. 
And they had one where, yeah, that was like that was like the, the that's the one they had like they kept teasing. You have to wait to the end to see. Did they? You know, the little people pulling the plane. Stop torturing um, me. Did the little people win or not? You know, I don't remember. You can watch it on YouTube though. You know this. And then they have that. They have, uh, yeah, they had. Uh, I remember they had Kobayashi, the hot dog eating champion, versus a bear. He lost to the bear. What did the bear eat? Hot dogs? Ate more hot dogs quicker than the human could. Well, it's got, its stomach is enormous, though. Yeah. This, you know, this tank biathlon is real, though. I didn't. Well, so is the little people pulling the 747. That's less surprising to me than, like, getting war machines yeah. out and, like, racing them around for sport. Look at these things that kill lots of people. So was the biathlon like was it it was it a test of speed? Like was it was it was there like a, a like a like a marksman like a shooting element to it? I I I don't know if they've got all the details hammered down, but I think um I think it's a lot of speed. Um Yeah, mostly speed. Three laps over rough terrain. Okay, shooting at targets shaped like tanks, houses, and helicopters. So it's a combination of speed and a, I guess, like killing agility. Yes. The event would take place next year. We'll put a link in there. But I, I kind of think after the Snowden business, like the tank biathlon between the United States and Russia might be. Uh, Kind of on the down and out. The elephant one. I mean, that, that's always a crowd pleaser. I don't think anything's going to put the damper on that. Oh, we got we to gotta put a link to the uh, regulators clip from Young Guns and Warren G. Definitely. So, in looking up this info on the uh, Asylum, there's this GQ article on them. And they have some like a little photo gallery, like on the set. And the one is like from this, they're on the set of Atlantic Rim. <laughs> and it's like, you know, they're shooting the like the, the protagonist. Like he's supposed to be like in the cockpit of the, of the giant robot. But like it's, if you look at this shot, like it's literally like in someone's living room. Does it look like the space movie? <laughs> like. <laughs> Like, it's pretty much, like, it's shot, like, it's it's someone's living room, like, they have some black curtains up, but, like, in the corner, like, you know, there's areas, I guess, where the curtains don't need to go all the way, like, you can just see, like, there's, like, like pictures on the wall, there's, like, some cupboards, you know, there's, like, this tile floor, he's sitting on, like, a, I don't know, like, a cooler or something <laughs> like that, and they have, like, some things behind him, like, I guess, like, some screens and stuff and some weird wiring, it's supposed to look like the cockpit, like, it's what you see... I guess behind him as they shoot in this living room. But yeah, that's cool. Oh, it sounds pretty cool. It's actually very cool. You know, that's how, that's how I make movies. Yeah. Well, here you go. You know, you could, you might have a career <laughs> with the asylum. I'll make my own asylum. Or you can make your own, that's even better, make your own asylum. Call it the cuckoo's nest. Alright, are we tapped out? <laughs> I think. I mean, we're talking about Atlantic Rim for Pete's sake. Yeah. 
But I'm glad uh, we got back to this because, you know, although this won't make sense with the passage of time, like it has been a long time since we recorded. So I'm glad yeah, to get like back four to four weeks, it. maybe. Oh, that's bad. It's bad. Can't let it happen Possibly again. Four weeks. And uh, we're almost here at the end, finally, of this whole, like, dude and Walter driving. Oh, my goodness. It's been, like, what has it been? 30 episodes, 32 through 37, Yeah, five, six episodes. It's a lot. Yeah. And it's not completely done. Not completely, but at least they're There's out of the car. a little bit. They're out of the car. Yeah, they're out of the car. <laughs> they still have maybe, you know, 15 or 20 seconds on the side of the road in the next uh, episode. Then we're back in the bowling There's alley. There's a preview. They were back in the bowling alley. But again, just so awesome. You know, we talked a lot about this before. We didn't really get to it this episode. I don't think we needed to. We can get back to it. Just again, Walter is infuriating awesomeness. <laughs> it's, and it's like, why does the dude put up with it? Like, why does he keep hanging out with him? You know, right. you've got to be pretty good friends. Right. Or just not have a lot of options. I don't or know. not but have yeah. a lot of options. Or maybe like the the stuff he's been through with Walter before this was even worse. Like maybe we're not even seeing the craziest portion of the dudes and Walter's relationship. Who knows? Like this yeah. is maybe nothing. They're eventually going to make the Lebowski prequel. <laughs> right. Cause it's all about the prequels. I, I think Ryan Gosling plays the dude. I could see that. Yeah. And Walter is, uh, John Hodgman. No. No good? Not rambunctious well, enough? it needs to be someone... Uh, okay. It needs to be someone like hip and with it. Seth Rogen. Today. Seth Rogen. You just nailed it. Seth Rogen and Ryan Gosling. There you go. You hit it. Fucking A, right? That's it. Of all of our, like... We're doing it. Theoretical castings that... You just nailed it. I'm coming... Nailed I'm it. calling him. I'm gonna give him a ring. Get him on the horn. <laughs> I mean, seriously, that's pretty good. Call up the Cohen, secure the rights. <laughs> we'll just, or you know, you, you could go the asylum route, yeah, we'll right? This will be it. called like, yeah, the the, the large the, Pulaski. Exactly. <laughs> there it is. The large the, Pulaski, the, and there it is. The generously yeah, proportioned Propinski. Mm-hmm. You don't have to go that far. The large Pulaski. The large just call Pulaski. It, just call know. it the large Lebowski. <laughs> right. Or the big, or the big Lebowski. Like one of those will do it. The big Lebowski. Yeah, We've already do. been through this. The big Lebowski. Yeah, Liberski. the big Lebowski. There it. it is. The big Lebowski. Starring Dumb. Ryan Gosling and Seth Rogen. Yeah. Well, you may not be able to book them. Um, they might have a schedule conflict, but you'll get someone in there. And Michael Sarah as Donnie. Yes. <laughs> right. There it is. You you are nailing it. <laughs> I'm throwing pearls. I'm just firing pearls out there right now. I, we got to end on a high note. Let's just cut it off right now because All I'm right. not going to do any better than that. Nope. Good, good voice ended. All right. Awesome, Adam. All right. Another fine adventure. Thank you, sir. Thank you. We will talk again very soon. Yes. Good night, sweet prince. I'll be the Zane. Okay. Next time on Gutterballs. H. I am he, dude, as the ex used to say.